Hello and welcome to the SLP Corner Podcast. Today we are going to be talking all about ways to decrease challenging behaviors. Most of the information that I'm going to be discussing today is from a talk by Dr. Lynn Kern Kogel, um, which is referenced in my blog post on my blog www.slpcorner.com and her workshop that she presented on which I learned all this information from is called practical ways to decrease challenging behaviors in school home and community settings and it was at an autism community training event last October in 2018 or two years ago I guess so in the videos she discusses how disruptive behaviors are communicative and that all kids have them, not just children with autism or special needs. I think this is really important to mention because challenging behaviors is so often something that people assume only children with special needs have or if a child is acting out, there's something wrong with them or they must have an underlying disorder present. But in reality, all children can struggle and they can all present with challenging behaviors and a lot of the time it's because that is how they feel they can best communicate something that is either maybe a thought a feeling or or often a need or a requirement so the reason these behaviors tend to occur is because they're effective and they're efficient and they're often actually unintentionally reinforced so a lot of the time they can be unintentionally reinforced through attention they might act out and maybe what they're trying to get or what they're trying to ask for but they don't have the tools in their toolkit is that they really are seeking out attention they want connection with someone and they don't know how to go about that in a way that will productively and smoothly provide them with that type of need or requirement so they realize that if they act out they do get attention it might not be positive attention it's negative attention but either way it's attention and they are fulfilling in in some way that that need and desire for attention from an adult or up here so the first step is just trying to discover the function of the behavior so you can ask yourself what is this behavior serving for the child what are they trying to communicate? What need isn't being met? So when you reflect on those, you're gonna start to see there might be a pattern or they might be doing it at a certain certain time of the day or with a certain adult and not another adult and really reflecting on why is this behavior happening? Right now I'm reading um, Uniquely Human by Dr. Barry Prezant and he talks a lot about how Oftentimes, unfortunately, adults' first response when there's a challenging behavior is to think, how can I stop this from happening? How can I completely put this to a halt, terminate it? How does this, how do we end this? But in reality, in order to even at all be able to decrease a challenging behavior, you need to know why it's happening because you won't be able to decrease that behavior until you know why it's happening in order to provide a different way for a child to communicate their feelings. So it's very important to ask yourself why. Typically developing children tend to show a reduced frequency of disruptive or challenging behaviors as they grow older because they acquire more language. 
Having a larger language repertoire allows them to use their words and helps them to regulate their emotions. So when a child can say how they feel and they have the language in place to describe a need, a want, or a desire, they won't be acting out as much or they won't be behaving in a way that is disruptive because they can efficiently and effectively communicate just by using their language. However, if a child is nonverbal or, or limited, they have limited verbal output, or they have a proxy of speech, or they have autism, or they have developmental language disorder, if they have anything affecting their speech or language to such an extent that they are having a hard time conveying their meanings, conveying meaning, getting out their feelings, their wants, their desires, there's probably not gonna be that decrease in challenging behaviors because they are still having a hard time expressing their thoughts thoughts, wants, and needs productively and effectively. So you're not gonna see that change over time and a lot of that has to do with language. So this is why speech language pathology is very important in facilitating and decreasing challenging behaviors because a lot of the time it's really an underlying language or speech challenge that if a child just had those words, they would really show a decrease in those challenging behaviors. So some predictors of disruptive behavior can be requests to engage in non-preferred tasks. So maybe a teacher is switching from gym to math class. That might not be very exciting for some children and they might have a disruptive behavior in response to this change. Or another non-preferred task could be if a parent is saying it's time for dinner, we're not gonna be playing outside anymore. That could result in disruptive behavior. Also denied access to preferred items. So if a child really wants their iPad and the parent says that it's not time for iPad right now, or if a student really wants to read a book but it's not reading time, so denied access to preferred items can result in disruptive behaviors. Academics, generally, at home, doing homework, at school, in the classroom, academics can be very overwhelming for some children, especially if they already have a developmental language disorder or another underlying developmental delay, or maybe they have autism, or they have something that is making it more challenging for them to learn at the same pace as their same-aged peers. Um, a big one for all kids, and it's not emphasized or discussed enough, is transitions. Transitions can be so, so challenging for kids. Transitions are hard for everyone. Transitions aren't easy. We just learn over time how to how to adapt and how to what what coping mechanisms we can put in place for transitions. Transitions are hard for everyone. So we really need to think about that when we have these high expectations for children to be able to transition smoothly between activities or between different types of routines. So different thing, things that could help with that with transitions um, are visual schedules, warnings, visuals of clocks showing the time passing. Visualizing time passing is very important. A lot of children don't really understand the concept of time. So if you give them, say like a five minute warning, they don't, a lot of children, even a lot of adults actually, um, I listened in on a workshop by Sarah Ward. She is like a specialist in executive functioning skills. And she talks a lot about how even some adults really struggle with that inherent ability to understand the passing of time on a clock. They can't visualize really how long five minutes means. And that's why 
so many adults are late or they have poor time management skills because it's 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 a skill you develop over time but if you're never using if you're never using an analog clock so it doesn't show the time passing you're using a digital clock then it is harder and so in this day and age it actually that's probably why there are so many adults struggling with time management so with children, of course, transitions are gonna be really hard if you give them two minute warning, they're not gonna really understand what that is. So that's why visuals, I have a visual on my Instagram um, by Anna DSLP of a time, a clock passing, or you could even color your clock in. And just having that warning, like that can make a huge difference for kids, um, a huge difference, and it can really improve their ability to transition. Another big one is a change in routine. A change in routine, once again, I feel that this can affect everyone, not just children and not just children with special needs. So this is a big one for kids with autism, but overall, altering a routine, it throws people off. They're not used to it. So if if you have if you're a small child and you don't have those if you can't regulate your emotions properly, you don't have those coping skills set in place, you don't have the language, this could a change in routine could result in a in a disruptive behavior. Also, the climate. So if a child is inside all day, this could result in a disruptive behavior. If they're in the same room all day, this could result in disruptive behavior. It's important to have a change of scenery for everyone. Moving around, moving your body, getting your steps in, going outside, getting some fresh air, seeing different people. Having those changes in environment can make a huge difference on people's ability to regulate their emotions. And also, I think this one really isn't talked about enough either, is pain and illness. So this one just breaks my heart because how many kids are suffering with pain or with an illness and they don't have the words? They can't share that they don't feel good right now and maybe they're, they're having a disruptive behavior and no one knows why and they just aren't able to articulate and share how they're feeling. So in the book I mentioned, Uniquely Human, Dr. Barry talks about how this one child he had on his caseload who had autism, this little guy, he was limited, he had limited verbal output and whenever he was sick, he would say, ah, 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 because his mom, when she knew he was getting sick, she'd say, open your mouth, say, ah, so she would look in his throat to see if he had a sore throat, any redness, but the teachers and Dr. Barry did not know this. And Dr. Barry was his SLP and he's an expert in autism. And so the child came to school one day and he was acting out. He was completely unregulated and no one could figure out why. But all day the child kept saying, ah, ah, ah. And everyone was so concerned. They were like, what is going on? What, what? We've never seen this before. He's so disruptive. He's so dysregulated. And it turns out when they told the mom, the mom was like, oh no, he's probably getting sick. And it turns out he got really sick a few days later. And that was him trying to convey, I don't feel good. And this, this overarching um, whole idea of like these children not being able to convey how they feel is why I feel like it's so important for parents and teachers, EAs, SLPs, if they're not seeing the parent on a regular basis, have a communication book in place. So you can write, child was saying, uh, do you have any thoughts on why this was occurring? And then you can figure out why, because if the child can't share how they feel, it's very important there's some way for a parent to be involved because they're the expert of their child. They usually have answers to these types of things. Okay, so 
those were the predictors of disruptive behavior. Now I want to talk about motivating factors for disruptive behavior. So there are three motivating factors I'm going to talk about. So motivating factors are what's motivating these children to act out and to become disruptive. So first is attention or positive consequence. So Dr. Kogel explains that if a child screams and the teacher or caregiver approaches them and prompts them to use your words, to which the child will use their words, now the child has learned that that entire chain is necessary for them to get what they want. So in their mind, they think, okay, in order to get what I want, I first have to scream, then I'll be prompted to use my words, then I'll use my words, then I will have had attention from the teacher and, and now we're, we're moving forward. And the teacher thinks, okay, I told them to use their words and they did, it worked. But in reality, all that did was that taught the child a chain of events needs to occur first and part of that chain of events is them acting out. We don't want this because we don't want them to learn that. So Dr. Kogel discusses the importance of providing opportunities throughout the day for the child to practice using strategies. So asking for a break could be one or going for a walk. And this is important because you want to do this before a disruptive behavior has occurred because you really want to avoid unintentionally reinforcing the unwanted behavior. So you don't want to unintentionally reinforce it. You're, you can unintentionally reinforce it when you respond to it. Even if it's a response to try to give them a way, a different way to do something, you're still reinforcing it because now you're giving them attention or there's a positive consequence. So instead, you want to provide them opportunities throughout the day to learn that there are strategies they can use that does not involve acting out or having a disruptive behavior. Okay, so the second is escape or avoidance. So if the child does not want to be in the classroom, they may have learned that if they throw or hit, they can leave the room. This is the same for at home. If a child tries to knock all the stuff off the table when their sibling is at the table, or if they try to try to become physical with their sibling or their parent, they might have to leave the room and then they get this escape that they're, that they're desiring. So th that's, this is just another reason why it's very important to teach new strategies for them to leave the room without the unwanted behaviors. Because once again, if, you, if they're leaving the room, they're getting what they wanted, so they learn, okay, in order for me to get a break, I need to first do something to create such a response that I get to take the break. So instead, you could offer them a break card or a walk card or every, if it's happening frequently, it could be every 10 minutes we are going to take a body break, we're going to do a dance, or we're going to sit and have some quiet time in our room as a positive thing. It's not a consequence, it's, oh, you're reading so well, or you're doing your homework, or you're playing with your toys, would you like to have a break and sit on your comfy chair in your room, and you can play there in some quiet time. So this can be really nice for kids to recharge, like anyone, adults, kids, everyone needs a break, everyone needs to recharge. So trying to teach them that they don't need to act out first. They can they can recharge just by having a strategy in place or having opportunities to learn throughout the day that they, they can do that and they don't need to have a disruptive behavior occur. So the third motivating factor is if it's effective and efficient. If children feel that when I knock off all the books off my sibling's table, that's faster than saying to my mom, that I would like a break. So this is just an overarching reminder that it's very important to make the replacement strategy 
very efficient and effective. You want it to be just as efficient and effective as the problem behavior or more efficient and effective. So if you're a child, you know they struggle with language, probably telling them to ask if they can talk to you, then tell them they'd like a break and have this huge dialogue, that's not as effective and efficient. So it's probably not gonna work and they're gonna keep doing that disruptive behavior because they feel like it's faster. And they're right, it is faster. So to start off, maybe just give them a break card and say when you're feeling like your body needs a break, you just have to lift up your break card and say break or maybe they just lift up their break card. So giving them a strategy that is effective and efficient. So I'll go over those three one more time. The motivating factors for these disruptive behaviors that you could think about when you're wondering why is this happening? Are they getting attention? Are they seeking escape? Are they trying to avoid something? And how effective and efficient is the disruptive behavior? Now for my last section of this podcast, I wanna talk about how to decrease disruptive behaviors because I think that's what all parents, teachers, SLPs, everyone wants to know, like how do we decrease these behaviors. Dr. Lin talks about, um, first off, of course, stay calm, keep everyone safe. A dysregulated adult is not going to be able to help a dysregulated child. So it is the most important thing that the adult stays very calm and that everyone's safe. Number two, as I mentioned, identify the function of their behavior. Ask yourself, why are they doing this? What are they trying to get out of this? Are they getting attention? Is there a positive consequence? Are they trying to escape or avoid something? Are they motivated? Are they bored? Are they restless? Is the information they are learning or the activity they are doing too easy or is it way too challenging for them? These are all important questions to ask yourself to try and get to the root of why this behavior is occurring in order to appropriately replace it. For number three, Teach new behaviors to replace inappropriate behaviors. If the new replacement behavior takes a long time and is very complex, then this won't work. So if the child is nonverbal and they have to sign multiple signs, so like for example, I want a break, I need a break, to have a break, they're, they're probably gonna find throwing something is way more efficient and effective to get a break because that's one throw versus multiple signs. So therefore a single sign like break or one visual holding up a break card or even uh, something stuck to their desk at school that they can just point to say break. That's gonna work way better than having a more complex replacement behavior because it's very efficient, very quick, and they can catch on and they can learn throughout the day that this is a much more effective tool and that people are a lot more happy and positive when they're using that type of tool instead. Finally, I just wanna talk about some other strategies you can use. So um, I mentioned some of these already, but warnings before transitions. There's different positive behavior support visuals you can use. Anna DSLP has many on her Teachers Pay Teachers page. I have some of hers on my Instagram um, that you can check out. Consistency across caregivers, this is very important. I think this goes for therapists, parents, grandparents, teachers. It's very key that it's consistent. So it's gonna be very confusing for the child if one parent is giving them a break card and the other parent doesn't know that the break card exists. So everyone being on the same page and being consistent is key. Utilizing their strengths as a reinforcement tool or theme of the activity. So if you know that the child loves to sit on the mats in therapy or at home, they like to 
sit on the ground instead of sit on a chair when you're trying to do maybe homework or therapy activity. Follow their lead with that, like small wins. Choose your battles. Utilize their strengths as a reinforcement tool. When you're utilizing their strengths, you're going to see a lot more gains. Um, preferred seating. So maybe if they're not participating in circle time, they you can maybe you'll realize that they are too far from the teacher they can't hear the teacher properly or maybe they're getting way too distracted where they're sitting and they're just looking at all the other students or maybe they're right beside the window and they are super distracted by what's going on outside so you want to set them up for success so make sure that where they're sitting where they're located if they're trying to do a therapy activity at home make sure the tv's off make sure it's quiet try to try to as much as you can set them up for the best success and make the environment a, a, an effective learning environment. Circulate. So when I say circulate, this goes for everyone, but I think it's most applicable to teachers and parents. So research does show that if an adult is circulating an area, problem behaviors decrease. So if an adult's circulating the classroom, if an adult's circulating outside during recess, if a parent's circulating the house, if they are, if they are circulating outside, there will be less problem behaviors. Children tend to notice that if there's an adult present, they are on better behavior overall. And then the last thing, I, um, well actually the second last thing is physical exercise. Research shows that physical exercise for kids calms them down for almost an hour afterwards. So having little breaks of physical exercise, it doesn't need to be like this big afternoon hike. It could just be, oh, time for a body break. Let's do an obstacle course around the house. Let's, it, the obstacle course can be so easy. Like let's run over around the table, step on the chair, and then sing a song. And there's your body break. And the effects of moving a body is not to be understated. And then lastly, just parent participation in education. I think it's really important for parents to be involved every step of the way. I've said it a million times, parents are the expert of their children and it's so, 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 so important that they're involved and they're included in the process during school and during therapy, that they need to be involved. It's, it's just invaluable. So I just wanna leave with saying, just try and remember that no matter how frustrating these behaviors may feel, no one likes disruptive behaviors, including the child. Helping the child express themselves in a more appropriate way before a problem behavior arises and trying to reduce reinforcement of the behavior can make a huge, huge difference in the frequency of the behaviors. So if you want to listen to the workshop that uh, a lot of this information is from, just go to my blog, www.slpcorner.com and click it is under school age tab and it's in it's uh, labeled ways to decrease challenging behaviors so i hope you found this podcast helpful you can let me know by commenting on my instagram or leaving a review on my podcast it really does help if you leave reviews on the podcast so i would absolutely love that and i will see you next week mm -hmm.